You're listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Altus. We are in our second Corinthians series. Now here's our pastor, Dr. Jeff Moore. Have your Bibles with you this morning. Let's go to Second Corinthians. We're at the end of chapter 4, and we're going to slip over into chapter 5 a little bit this morning. I shared with you last week as we talked about this great work, this great book, 2 Corinthians. Last week I talked to you about the gospel in us is to do more than just take us to heaven. And I, think that, I still think it's a mistake a lot of Christians make. I'm saved. I know I'm going to go to heaven when I die. That's all settled. Now I'm going to go live my life, and then one day I'll go to glory. God saved us to do more than just take us to heaven one day. He saved us to radically transform us here and now, that each day we might have an abundant life, a life that glorifies Him, a life of obedience to Him. The gospel should impact every aspect of our being every single day. How we think, how we view people, how we do our business, how we drive down the street, how we handle our social media, how we deal with problems in our lives, all of that in every part of life is to be impacted by the fact, if you're a Christian, that you've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. However, it doesn't change the fact, though I think there's supposed to be a daily difference, the best is still yet to come, and after all that goodness that God gives us in this life, guess what? We get to go to glory. We get to live forever with Him. And Paul gives us a little glimpse of that this morning in describing what's coming for us in the future as the children of God. So I want us to explore it together this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, picking up in verse 16. The first thing Paul tells us is, is we are not to lose heart. Don't lose heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16 through 18, to get us going this morning. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now Paul's already told us in this letter earlier on that he had come to a place of great discouragement. He talked about despairing of his life even to the point of death. And we think what he's talking about was the, when he was at Ephesus and he got into some trouble there, not for being a bad guy, but for preaching Jesus and for being true to the Scriptures. There were some locals there that got upset with him, some local followers of a local cult god there. They had a silversmith who created these false gods. And Paul stood up and preaches a sermon and says, there's really only one God, one God only. Well, that started to impact their business. And so they got really upset with the Apostle Paul. And he said, I got to the point where I feared even for my life. I think Paul was discouraged by what was going on at Corinth. If you read that that book of 1 Corinthians that we preached through and worked through last year together, you see there was a lot of stuff going on in that congregation. And I think Paul was discouraged by that. I think he was discouraged at this point, because remember the false teachers had come in, and had discredited Paul and criticized Paul, and the Corinthians weren't really rising up to say, hey, wait a minute now, Paul's a good guy, don't pick on Paul. He taught us about Jesus. They really never did come to his defense 
to much of any degree. And so all of that is a, a time of discouragement in Paul's life. And in fact, later in this same letter, he's going to tell us stories of stuff he'd been through. If you think you're having a bad day, just go read the 11th chapter of this book where Paul gives what he calls his foolish speech about how many times he was beaten and shipwrecked and left for dead. And you'll read that chapter and go, you know what? My day doesn't seem so bad after all, after comparing it to what the Apostle Paul went through. But even with all of that stuff going on, Paul says, we do not lose heart. And then he says, though our outer self. Now what he's talking about is this body. Our outer self is wasting away. Paul understood the demands of ministry, the strain of spiritual warfare, the conflicts he was facing, all the stuff that he was going through, all of that takes its toll on a body. Not to mention just the normal, everyday fact of growing older. Now, some of you will understand this, some of you are yet to experience. But when the Bible says our bodies are wasting away, if you don't know that now, hang on, you will sooner or later. Stuff will quit working. And then the stuff that still works will hurt when it works. And some of it will make unpleasant noises. You'll get up out of bed, you'll sound like Rice Krispies after you put the milk on. They'll be snapping and cracking and popping and all kinds of things. And you don't need to watch the weather because your body will tell you when the weather changes are coming. Can I get a witness up in here this morning? Amen. Here we go. Our bodies are wasting away. But notice the contrast that Paul gives us. But... Our inner self is what? Being renewed day by day. Paul says no matter what's going on around us, in our bodies, in our circumstances, in our world, no matter what we're facing, inside of us, Paul says, God is working, did you catch that? Day by day, every single day of our lives, God through His Spirit is working in us to do what? To renew us, to give us the strength to give us the mercy, the grace, the wherewithal that we need day by day to face whatever it is that we are facing. Now here's the thing about God. Gives, waits till the moment that we need it and then He pours it out on us. Exactly when we need it. And it comes flooding in. And there's days, there's days we soar like eagles with our wings spread and we're flying over the top of everything and everything's great. Some days we're grounded but we're running and we're not growing weary. Some days though we can't break stride, we're just walking and we don't faint. But you know what it is that gets us through those three scenarios? The strength of the Lord. It is the strength of the Lord. And ladies and gentlemen, we'd all rather spread our wings and fly every day and fly over the top and soar and problem-free and everything, but thank God on those days when you're just putting one foot in front of the other, that is still the grace of God getting you through. Even if it's just one little tiny step at a time. Day by day, our spirits are being renewed by the power of the Lord in us. That's a gift from God. That is grace from God. And then Paul makes a comparison. He calls them light and momentary afflictions. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you take whips and beat me, I will never use the words light or momentary. It wasn't that bad. It was momentary. It was a light affliction. You beat me with something, I, I, I'm going to cry foul and I'm going I'm to hurt. 
And I'm going to talk about it in very negative terms. If you throw me in prison for preaching the gospel, as they did the Apostle Paul, I'm not going to call it light and momentary. If you put me on a ship and, and I, want a new, I want a new cruise line, if I go out on a boat like Paul did and go through the shipwreck and then you make it through the shipwreck and get to the shore and trying to build a fire to help everybody and the snake comes out and bites you on the hand, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to whine and complain. Paul says, you know all that stuff? It's light. It's not that big a deal. It's momentary. It's temporary. It's really nothing in comparison to, Paul says. He's not taken away from our pain or suffering. But by comparison, the eternal weight of glory is greater than all the light momentary afflictions that we face. That's what he says. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. There's no comparison to it. If I take all my hurt, all my disappointment, all my pain, all my sorrow, all my tears, and I put it on one side. And I put on the other side of the scales the glory that's coming as a Christian when I cross over and see Jesus face to face and have all of that stuff left behind. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more pain. When I compare those two, Paul says there's no comparison. Because what we're going through now is really nothing compared to the glory awaiting us. And he says, we have to look beyond what we can see. Christians, sometimes you look around you and you think there's no way out. You think there's no hope. You feel overwhelmed. And hear me this morning, that is exactly what the enemy, the devil, wants you to think, that there is no hope, that God doesn't care, that God has abandoned you, that God has left you to your own devices, that, oh, if God really loved you, He wouldn't let you hurt like this. Listen, the Bible never promises a pain-free experience in this life, but it promises the presence of the Lord in the midst of it. And God's grace is sufficient. He renews our spirit day by day. He gives us the grace necessary to walk through it and to get through it and to make it through it because He is gracious to us like that. Paul says, don't get caught up looking at your circumstances and making that the measure, making that the test. Because this is not all there is. There is more yet to come. The best is yet to come. All of this stuff passes away. And we have an experience waiting for us that is better than we can even imagine this morning. No more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more disappointment, no more late night phone calls, no more broken hearts, no more broken promises. None of that stuff is going to follow us into glory because the old passes away and God gives us a brand new experience. Amen. That's what we have to look forward to. So Christian, don't lose heart. I know it hurts. Listen, when they were beating Paul, he felt every blow of those whips, every blow of those canes. They, 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 they basically, in the synagogue, they would use a cane, like a, like a cane pole, fishing pole, rods. They beat me with rods. Promise you, Paul felt every blow that came down across his back. I promise you there were moments in the water when he's drifting at sea, wondering if he's going to live or if he's going to die. There were moments that Paul looked around him and thought, is this it? Is it over with? Is this the end of my life? There were moments that Paul was discouraged. There were moments that Paul felt pain. But Paul said, as bad as all of that was, when I get to glory, I'm not going to remember that. That's going to fade away. The best is yet to come. Oh, be encouraged this morning. I know some of you are hurting today. I know some of you are broken hearted and you're disappointed. 
I know some of you today are going through chapters in your story you'd never dream you'd go through. That's the kind of thing that happens to them, happens to somebody else. But then when it comes home to your house, when it comes home to your family, when it comes home to your heart, that's the moment you must lean upon the Lord. That's the moment you must rest in who you are as a child of God. That's the moment you must feel the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit working in your life. What is the first term that Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit with? It was the word comforter. The comforter. The Father will send the comforter to you. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit can and will comfort you and keep you and get you through it. <coughs> Don't lose heart. Secondly, chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. A new body. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, <coughs> we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, to go back and do your homework, the term that's used for the Apostle Paul of his profession, literally in the Greek language, is leather worker. He was a leather worker. That's literally the Greek term. But you and I have it translated tent maker. You remember that term about the Apostle Paul? He was a tent maker. Well, most of our modern tents are made out of modern materials. But you understand in this ancient culture, they didn't have the kinds of materials and things that we have today, so they used what they had. Well, oftentimes tents were made out of animal hides. They would harvest those hides. They would tan them out so that they would last. And they would take those and they would work with them. And we know that Paul did this to make his bread money. That's how Paul survived. He said to one church, I was never a burden to anybody. I, I paid my own way. I earned my own way. I, I'm convinced in my mind there was many a day that Paul was sitting somewhere in a city with, with big, big pieces of leather draped across his lap with a needle and probably some raw hide and probably sewing tents together. And I just have to believe in my heart as he was doing that, he was talking to people that were coming by sharing the gospel with him, talking to him about Jesus as he was making tents. It's kind of a cool picture to me. So I'm not surprised in chapter 5 that Paul would talk about our bodies with language from his everyday work world. He worked on tents all the time. He, he made tents. He was a tent maker, a leather worker. And so he says, if this tent that we have, he's talking about our physical bodies. If this tent that we have is destroyed our earthly home this body that we have right now the one that's wasting away outwardly if it's destroyed we have a building from God a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens now when I hear the word building and house I think about structures but in this context he's talking about bodies he calls it on this side of heaven a tent he calls our new bodies in heaven buildings and uh, houses. Now I want you to see that contrast. What Paul is trying to, to depict for us in the language is the body that we have here and now is also temporary. You have a day to be born. You have a day to die. The Bible says the days of your life were written in his book before the foundations of the earth. 
God knew your birthday, God knows your death day, and God knows every day in between. Because He's Almighty God, all-knowing God. He knows that. This body has a limited life to it. It can only last for so long. And it wears down and it runs out. And I hate to bust somebody's bubble, but if the Lord tears His coming, we all are going to pass away. You are not in your present state. Your physical body today is not immortal. It is mortal. It will die sooner or later. And Paul says, when he uses the language if, but what he's really saying is when, when that happens, when this body stops functioning, when you draw your last breath and your heart stops beating, when this body stops functioning, we have a waiting for us, now it's future, a house, a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now verse 2, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Now that groaning, I make, I make jokes every time I talk about this. I make jokes about, you know, your knee will tell you when the weather's going to change and all of that. But I, I'm, I'm not naive this morning. I also know that in these bodies we have other groanings. We have other pains and heartaches and disappointments. Emotional ones. Broken hearts. Disappointments. Fears. Struggles in this life. Sins with which we struggle, a sin which so easily besets us, like the writer of Hebrews talks about, our tendencies as sinful human beings, that thing which we keep going back and stubbing our toe on spiritually. We all struggle with those things. We have emotional stress and spiritual stress. We deal with all of that kind of stuff in our minds, and not only the physical pains of our bodies, but the emotional strain of our minds and the spiritual strains of our souls. We struggle with all of it. And Paul says there's days that we groan to be released from this. We groan over the pain and the hurt and the heartache that we feel. I've probably told you this story. One of my professors at the seminary, Dr. McGorman, wonderful man of God. I had him for, for Greek class. I had him for the, the book of 1 Corinthians. I had him for several things. Really respected him. He shared a story with us about his older brother who was drafted during World War II went through basic training, got his orders. He was being shipped out the next day to go to the European theater to fight with the Allies against the Germans uh, and the Italians over there in Europe during World War II. The night before he was to ship out, he was taking a bath, stood up in the bathtub and reached over to an electric heater to make an adjustment on it, and it shorted out and electrocuted him to death in the bathtub the night before he was to ship out. Their mother received a telegram in the mail notifying her of her son's death in that hotel room in that bathtub. And Dr. McGorman said when his mother read that telegram, she didn't say a word, she just groaned. And he said there were no words necessary. The hurt of a mother's heart upon hearing of the death of her son was recognizable in that audible groan that she let out. Well, sadly, many of us have those types of moments in our lives where we get news that breaks our hearts, when our dreams are shattered, when the things that we were counting on are no longer there for us to count on, whatever that may be. And we go through grief and we go through pain. And Paul says we're groaning and there's days that we get homesick for heaven. There's days that we say, you know what, Lord, it'd be all right with me if you just take me home. 
and let me rest for all of eternity and leave this mess behind. I'm not talking about being suicidal. I'm just talking about heart sick and homesick for heaven. We groan for that. Paul uses that language where our hearts are anxious for that. But then he says, in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. What's Paul talking about? Well, here's what he's talking about. He's not talking about physically being unclothed. He's talking about when this body dies, what happens is your soul, your spirit, what makes you, you, Christian, goes home immediately to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what God teaches us through the Apostle Paul. He's going to tell us that. Here's what I believe happens. The moment a Christian draws his or her last breath, the moment that their heart stops beating in their chest and their lungs stop taking in air and their brain waves stop functioning, the mo- they, they are deceased. The moment their body stops functioning and they pass away, I believe their soul, their spirit, what made them them goes immediately to be with Jesus. Why do I believe that? On the cross, Jesus didn't say, well, Lord, Father, I'm going to go down to hell for three days and I'll see you later. No, what did he say? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Where did Jesus' body go? Went in the tomb for three days. But Jesus went immediately. What did he tell the thief dying next to him? Behold, I tell you, today you will be with me. Where? In paradise. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not making this up on the fly. I'm studying the Word of God and trying to teach it to you. When you die, Christian, you go immediately to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's the promises of Scripture. But it's hard for us to imagine not having this body. Remember what the great C.S. Lewis said? You don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. What makes you use what's on the inside? Your spirit, your soul. This body is temporary. Remember this tent. It will be destroyed. But the spirit, the soul who makes you you goes immediately. Now, one day we're going to have a brand new building. And Paul's still waiting on this too. One day we're going to have a brand new home, a brand new body, just like the body of the Lord Jesus on His resurrection. The first Easter Sunday morning when they went to the tomb and the stone was rolled away and His body was not there. Jesus was among them. He greeted them. He appeared in the upper room. He had breakfast with them on the shores of Galilee. Jesus walked around among them. He had a body, but it was a changed body, a glorified body. What did he tell us in the first book in chapter 15, the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians? The mortal will take on immortality. The perishable will become imperishable. These bodies aren't ready for eternity, but God's got a new body waiting for us that is. And he's going to raise up these old bodies and transform them according to Scripture, just like he did for Jesus He's going to do the same thing God did for Jesus on Easter, the first Easter 2,000 years ago, is the same thing He's going to do for us when Christ returns to this earth. Raise up our bodies. We're going to have a brand new body. And, and I have no proof for this, but I'm just convinced. Skinny Jeff's going to get up, not fat Jeff. Amen and amen. I'm so excited. I just can't hide it. Okay? I believe that. And it doesn't matter what that's going to look like. It won't matter at that point because they're going to be home with the Lord. I do have some theories, though. I think that the wedding feast of the Lamb, it's something fried with gravy on it. I'm just convinced of it. 
I feel that in my spirit, in my soul. I have no scripture foundation for that. And I don't think calories count there. Amen. I just don't. I feel that in my spirit. Can't prove that. I'm just being silly now. But a brand new body is going to be raised up. A body that will last for all of eternity. That's exciting. That's, that is the work of God. And don't forget, don't, and don't, don't leave out, not only a new body that's going to be fit to live for all of eternity, but an experience that will be absolutely pain-free. Remember what John said in Revelation? There shall be no more tears, for God Himself shall wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death, nor mourning, nor sorrow. For the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Ladies and gentlemen, the best is yet to come. God has a glorious future awaiting us, a glorious eternity awaiting us because we've trusted in His Son, Jesus. Now, how do you know that's true? How do you know that's real? Well, verse 5, and I'll be done. Look at chapter 5, verse 5, and notice the language that Paul uses. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. I want you to key in on three things there. How do we know this is true? How do we know this is going to happen? Well, it's God's deal. Paul says the one who's doing all this is going to give us a new body, a new temple, a, a, a new house, a new dwelling. Who's going to let, make the old pass away and all things become new? It's not Paul. It's God's going to do it. He says the one who does this is God. Now, here's a silly question. Don't get it wrong. Can we trust God? Say yes. Yes, we can. So Paul says it's God who's going to do this. Now, how do I really know? How do I deal with doubts? You, Christian, you think you're the only one that doubts? I was teaching Wednesday night to our, to our prayer group downstairs, our prayer meeting, and I was taking us through the Great Commission again in Matthew's Gospel in the 28th chapter, 18 through 20. But what's interesting, verse 17 right above that, the Bible says that Jesus met with the 11. Remember, Judas had already betrayed Jesus, gone out. He was done. So there's just 11 of them left. The Bible says that Jesus met the eleven, some worshipped him, but some doubted. Now who is it that's doubting? We'll go back and read their names. These are the eleven remaining disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the guys that carried the baskets full of leftovers at the feeding of the multitude. These are the guys in the boat watching Jesus walk on the water. <coughs> These are the guys in the boat watching Jesus say, Peace be still, and the storm calmed. And they said, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? These are the fellows who were walking along and one day came to a funeral procession and a widow at Nain whose son, only son had died and Jesus walked up and did the unthinkable as a Jewish person, touched the casket of a deceased person, they would be considered unclean, and the boy sat up and he said, give him back to his mama. They saw that. They saw people raised back to life again. They saw Jesus walk on water. They saw the miracles. And yet after all of that, some of them doubted. Christian, you're not the only one that doubts. But don't let your doubts overcome you. Pray about those. Search the scriptures and let God reassure your heart. And come to a place of confident conclusion. So some doubted. God did this. Now how do we know? The last clause. He has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. It's an old word. It's an earnest. Did you ever decide to buy something? Maybe he's going to buy a piece of land or buy a house or buy something. And they wanted you to put down a deposit, an earnest, to show that you were serious about the purchase. 
So you'd write out a check or you'd give them some money and say, yeah, I'm going to buy that. Here's, some, here's the money. I'm going to go get the rest. That's that old picture of an earnest. That's the idea here. The Holy Spirit is our earnest. It's the deposit in us. It's the guarantee. You say, well, now, wait a minute, preacher. How do I know that I got the Holy Spirit? Well, Christian, let's take, let's take a little test. Let's talk about it. Let's take some inventory. Have you ever felt the presence of God when you're reading the Scriptures? Did you ever feel the Spirit moving you during a powerful worship song? Did you ever feel conviction over sin in your life? When you did something wrong and you knew it was wrong and the Holy Spirit brought conviction to your heart, your soul, and your mind? Did you ever feel compassion for someone else and felt motivated and compelled to go care for them and do something for them? You ever been reading the Bible and all of a sudden it was like God was writing you a personal letter and it just jumped off the page and all of a sudden you're going, wow, that's for me? That's evidence of the Holy Spirit working in you. You got Him, Christian. You got the Holy Spirit. He's working inside of you. And every time I sense or feel the Holy Spirit working in me, not only do I have the joy, the pleasure, and the blessing of that, but I'm also reminded that's my earnest, that's my guarantee that the best is yet to come. That heaven is real. That God really is preparing a place for me. Jesus really is preparing a place for me in the Father's house. That heaven really is going to be my home. That eternity is just as glorious, even more glorious than I can understand as the Bible describes it to me in the Word of God. Now, are you ready? Do you know for sure? You see, as I talk about all those ways the Holy Spirit's working to show you that He's in your heart and your life, if you don't have any of those evidences, you should be concerned this morning. That should bother you. But here's the good news. My Bible says, Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not an exclusive members only club. It's a whosoever will club. Anybody and everybody who recognize that you're a sinner, realize you can't save yourself, understand that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died on the cross, that He rose again, that He offers you forgiveness, and you trust in Him and invite Him into your heart. Anyone who does that, the Bible says God will honor that and will save him or her. God will do that. So if you're not ready this morning, you can get ready. You say, well, how do I do that? In a moment, I'll be standing down here. You come to me and say, I need Jesus. That's all I need to hear from you. And I'll help you pray. And we'll work through what the Bible says. And I'll help you reach out to Jesus. And you can trust him this morning and you can be ready. And all these glorious promises can be yours too. Christians, you're ready. You've got Jesus. You've got the gospel in you. You've got the salvation already. You know that heaven is your home. Be encouraged this morning. Don't lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. And sometimes when it feels like you're just drowning in it, when it feels like you're feeling overwhelmed by it, would you remember that all this is temporary? Would you remember that this too is going to pass and one glorious day, though you can't see it with your human eyes now, remember Paul talked about that, the seen and the unseen, you can't see it yet, but the best is still coming and one day all that heartache, all that hurt, all that pain is going to be left behind you never to suffer with it anymore. Never again will you have another day like that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Scripture. Thank you that Jesus died and rose again and the tomb is empty. That death has lost its sting and the grave has lost its victory and its hold over us. And now we have the hope and the assurance and the promise of eternal life. Father, thank you for what a victory we have in Jesus. Lord, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice 
that doesn't know Jesus, I pray he or she right now, wherever they may be, would cry out to you and trust in you and be born again. And Father, for Christians today that are struggling, who are hurting, who are discouraged, Father, would you encourage them? Would you lift up their spirits? Would you remind them and renew them today that, Lord, this is all temporary and the best is yet to come? Father, would you do a work in this place? Holy Spirit of the living God, would you move mightily and show us the Father's will and then empower us to do what the Father would have us to do? I pray and ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to FBC Altus Podcast. For more information about our church and ministries, visit us at www.fbcaltus.org.